Hey there, good people in crypto land. This is Matt Lysing, and welcome back to my podcast, Decent People. Today, we've got a special episode. Uh, we're bringing you a Twitter Spaces recording that we did about a week and a half ago that we called Crypto for Good. What we did is we featured three projects that we think are trying to change the world for the better. The first is Glow Dollar, a stablecoin that is promising to donate all of its profits to end extreme poverty around the world. The second is Eco Sapiens, an NFT project that is working to help retail users um, buy carbon credits and sequester carbon emissions uh, to help with global warming. And the third is Huma Finance, which is working with crypto loans so that businesses and individuals around the world uh, in small in small businesses or mid-sized businesses can get loans um, to help them with their operations uh, in, in a situation where a bank wouldn't be giving those people loan. So it's not all SEC enforcement actions and rug pulls. We think that there are some great projects out there that are doing good uh, for the world and crypto. We wanted to bring those to you. Uh, we've covered all of these uh, firms at Essential, so make sure to check the liner notes if you want to read up on those stories before you have a listen. And uh, as always, thanks a lot for listening and hope you enjoy it. I'm Matt Lysing. I co-founded Decentral. Uh, I spent many years as a reporter at Bloomberg News. And then with my partner, Neil Berkeley, who's a documentary filmmaker, we created Decentral uh, a couple of years ago. And we set out with the um, intent to write about the people who are making Web3 a reality. We thought, Neil and I thought, that there's just not enough attention on the folks behind the scenes and those folks tend to be brilliant and funny and weird and they come from all walks of life and they're doing amazing things so that's what we've been working on um both on the filmmaking side uh on the editorial side with our website decentral.io we put out four podcasts a week uh we've got one weekly newsletter and we've got a second one coming so you know we're trying to cover all the bases and make sure that the the folks behind the scenes are getting the attention we think they deserve. Um, so make sure to check us out at Decentral.io for more on that. Um, I'd love to introduce you just quickly to two of my colleagues who are on the call who are going to help with this. Uh, the first is Amanda Smith. Uh, she's a wonderful freelance writer in New York City. Uh, she's been covering culture and news for us uh, at Decentral. She uh, is starting um, a series on um, uh, for Pride Month, that the first of our series uh, of, of articles on that comes out uh, tomorrow. Uh, our other colleague is Stephen Ladden, who's based in Los Angeles. Uh, Stephen wrote for uh, High Times and, and a bunch of other places. Uh, he's a consummate interviewer and writes about where Web3 and entertainment meet. Um, so make sure to check them out. Uh, give them a follow. And, uh, you know, we'll just uh, you'll, you'll get deeper into the Web3 space with those folks uh, in your Twitter feed. So just real quickly, then uh, let's get to the guests. Um, we've got three amazing uh, folks to talk to you today. Um, and I'm going to ask you guys each uh, to kind of give, give a, a short intro uh, for yourselves and what you do. Um, Jeff Maluski is the first. He's the co-founder and CEO of Glow Dollar. So maybe, Jeff, you could just say a quick word about GlowDollar and what you guys are up to. Yeah, great to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, GlowDollar, very simply, is a stable coin that helps alleviate extreme poverty throughout the world. Uh, we do this as a fiat-backed stable coin, just like USDC. We're going to generate revenue from the assets that back the stable coin one-to-one -one, and then donate that to a 
an NGO called Give Directly that has basic income programs for people in extreme poverty. So we hope to scale this, become a really important part of the ecosystem and, you know, make a big impact in terms of like using stable coins and crypto um, in a positive way. So I appreciate being here. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, make sure to check out the story we wrote about Jeff and uh, Glow Dollar at Decentral. Um, next guest is Nihar Nilakanti. He's the co-founder and CEO of EcoSapiens. Hey, Nihar, thanks so much for being here. Can you just tell us real briefly what you guys are doing? Hey, Matt. Uh, thanks for the invite. Um, hey, everyone. My name is Nihar. I'm the co-founder of EcoSapiens. And you know, our, our mission is to build products that empower everyday people to make a positive impact on the planet. And what we do today is we uh, we pioneer digital collectibles that sequester your carbon footprint. And, you know, we launched our first sort of um, initial collection not that long ago. And um, we're, you know, super excited about the power of digital art and, and collectibles and NFTs as a whole to make climate action accessible and economical for people. Um, and that's really what we are. That's awesome. Thank you. And our last guest is Erbil Karaman. He's the co-founder of Huma Finance. Uh, Erbil, thanks so much for being here. Can you tell us real quickly what you guys are up to? Yeah, thank you, Matt, uh, for having me. Um, Huma Finance is an income-backed DeFi protocol for 99%. Um, if you think about participation in DeFi today, you actually need a lot of um, crypto assets, and uh, that's only available to uh, select with few, as we know. Uh, we basically simplify it by letting any business and anybody around the world with any kind of income or cash flow to participate in DeFi um, through our fintech partners in emerging markets. So in a way, uh, it's an infrastructure for fintechs to build uh, with DeFi and expand the values and the benefits of the DeFi to everybody around the world. Amazing. So yeah, let's just kind of jump into it. And um, what we thought you know, was interesting when we were writing all these stories um, for Decentral is, is that obviously, you know, we're here because of crypto and it, it allows new, new ways of solving old pro problems or, or getting, you know, trying to solve old problems. So we wanted to kind of talk about that. Like why, what is it about crypto here um, and your project specifically that, that relies on maybe Web3 or the blockchain? Um, so Jeff, you, you've said, previously uh that crypto allows us to embed values within money which i think is a fantastic way of saying it it's very succinct so let me start with you what what is it about crypto that is is allowing you to do this and maybe um a good way into that is to just because i find this fascinating maybe you could explain the economics of a stable coin like tether that's sitting on billions of dollars and and how that money that's in reserve can can earn them uh, interest income. For sure. Um, first, yeah, the crypto aspect of this, I think it's really important. It's, I like to focus on the stablecoin market. It's proven to be a killer app of crypto. Over $120, $30 billion of fiat-backed stablecoins are out there. People are using them for real uses. Um, this is a big market that's I think is going to grow over time. And if we can build some type of embedded or passive philanthropy in this type of product, it has the ability to scale to billions of dollars of impact. So crypto, the infrastructure of it, the rails in terms of using a financial product for payments and other types of services um, is built and we can leverage it in a very efficient way to create this revenue stream. 
So that's really important. We can't go out and build a whole new Visa payment network, but we can use the tools of decentralized blockchains and all that to really be built an efficient, impactful organization. Now, with Tether and the USDC, the fiat-backed stablecoins, it's very simple. They'll issue a stablecoin taking real fiat assets, US dollars, when it's usually pegged to a dollar. And they'll invest those just like a bank does. They'll invest it like a deposit into safe, hopefully safe, and liquid investments. And right now, US treasuries are a very popular form of investment and they're earning you know, four to 5%. So if you look at the market cap of Tether, it's around $80 billion. That means there should be about $80 billion of assets supporting that. And then they'll earn a percent of interest on the invested assets there. So it's, it's a very profitable business model when we have an interest rate environment like we do right now. Yeah, I was just looking, uh, I saw yesterday, in the first quarter of this year, uh, Tether earned $1.5 billion in profit from that interest income. And that's just in the, in the quarter. So if, you know, if it stays that way, that's $6 billion a year that they're clearing. Um, and your idea there at Glow Dollar is that could be, if you could scale to that level, that could be $6 billion going to help people in extreme poverty. Exactly. It, it's a very efficient, scalable model um, in terms of the ability to generate that kind of income as a company. And um, yeah, it takes a lot of effort getting that much adoption. It's going to take some time, but uh, there's no big you know, friction in terms of infrastructure. Like we're using a decentralized blockchain network. It's basically just an, a user adoption and finding use cases and getting us into the ecosystem. So we really want to kind of promote early adoption and building out support around the, the ecosystem growth. Yeah, that's, a, that's great. Um, so moving on to Nihar, um, and, and Stephen, maybe you could jump in here too. Um, you, Nihar, you said we want to build a platform that empowers everyday people to make a difference on the planet. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And, and where does the blockchain element to that come in and, and make it so that this is something that you can is it that you can do it better in crypto or you can do or what just like maybe give us some sense of that um, for what you guys are doing with EcoSapiens? Yeah, totally. So look at a high level, uh, EcoSapiens was founded, frankly, to help solve a problem that I was facing myself. So, you know, in 2020, watching the wildfires rip through Northern California, I felt uh, personally really helpless and was asking myself what I could do to make a difference in, you know, in climate change, right? And obviously, uh, it's not like necessarily one person can make the whole world better. But for me, I was looking for ways to make small differences. And I couldn't find anything particularly attractive. Um, and what I mean by this is that climate action is a, a need. And it's something that a lot of people are seeking. That's why you see Nike and Adidas, for example, fighting to be the plastic free shoe. I'm sure over the holidays, you saw everyone you know, trying to incorporate sustainability into your into products is because people are asking for it. But most oftentimes, sustainability or living a sustainable life is more expensive. It's oftentimes um, time, like it oftentimes requires a lifestyle change. So it can mean, you know, eating less meat or, or walking more or, and driving less, which is not obviously feasible in a lot of places in the world. Um, but the third element is that when we do study brands and companies that have done a good job of bringing climate and, and you know, planet, uh, sorry, world positive outcomes in general to the forefront of consumers is that they make it uh, really fun and they make it really, they make it a powerful signal, which is like, 
you know, what you're doing when you're wearing Patagonia or, you know, another values aligned brand. And so the thesis was, you know, what if we, what if the way to make products that gave people ways to make a difference in the planet was really that at a, at a thesis level, you had to design products that were easy, um, that made, sorry, that made climate action easy, economical and fun and cool and, and part of community. And if you look at those ingredients, um, like accessibility, um, you know, uh, economic alignment and culture, we saw those three ingredients uniquely in NFTs, right? And in, and in crypto culture. And uh, for us, you know, we saw this avenue of, of taking carbon credits and specifically, you know, credits that were uh, reforesting the planet or, you know, underwent soil regeneration. The idea is what if you brought those and really just disguised them as digital art um, and turn it into a thing that people can buy and showcase, but also make a real world difference in a one click way. And, and that's sort of the idea, right? So when you buy an EcoSapien, what you're doing is you're buying an art collectible um, that you get to symbolize and say is an EcoSapien, obviously, but on the back end, you're offsetting a full year's worth of carbon emissions uh, through soil regeneration. And it's just, it, it is a one-click experience. And if you were to reimagine what I'm describing in a Web2 world, it wouldn't be that easy. Um, you'd have to build a lot of the rails to bring carbon credits to users. You'd have to build a whole, you know, Robinhood-like front end. Um, and it just, you know, it, the, the time to market was just not the same, right? So it's kind of like um, carbon credit world previously was really like the realm of oil companies, right? And manufacturers and, and large conglomerates that wanted to try to offset what they were putting into the world or, or airlines, for example, right? And it wasn't a retail kind of focused. No, um, I mean, it's, I think there's two issues with carbon credits on the consumer side. One is it is inaccessible, right? Like, where do you go to go buy carbon credits? It's not one click easy. And even for the, even on the enterprise side, right? So even if you are like a Chevron or uh, a Stripe or whatever, you're going through a series of brokerages and this like complex, this complex commodities market. Um, it is true that just carbon on chain in general, I, I think, would uh, bring a lot more transparency to the whole, you know, carbon credit space as a, as a, as a category. Um, but certainly, you know, by doing it on chain like this, you're making it accessible to consumers, right? That's like a simple matter of fact. Uh, and then obviously using the art um, to, you know, align incentives and make carbon credits attractive to consumers. Because, you know, the truth is if carbon credits by themselves, I don't believe are natively, you know, like super attractive. Like, I don't know why I would just buy carbon credits. But if, you know, to buy, buying it in an art form, I think, is uh, a lot more compelling. And, and Nihar, this is uh, Steve jumping in real quick. For, for those who don't know, maybe you could explain sort of what carbon credits are and how they function and, and how, I know you explained how Web3 makes them possible uh, through Sapiens, but maybe just a general um, introduction to carbon credits for those who aren't familiar. Yeah, so carbon credits are, um, you know, it, it was an asset that was introduced at the Kyoto Protocol in 1997 as a way to incentivize carbon drawdown, right? So we're the... Big picture is we're creating way too much carbon um, in the air, and obviously it's leading to climate change. So to use it to create an asset that actually uh, incentivizes, um, you know, carbon um, sequestration, that's what carbon was invented for. And the value of carbon is derived based on uh, 
how much carbon and the value is being reduced in the air and either being put directly in the ground or shrunk from, you know, typical, uh, you know, factory. Like Tesla gets carbon credits for, you know, having fully electric factories, right? Or for example, if you and I go start a tree fact, a tree farm um, that has, you know, that, that, where we can measure how much carbon is, is being captured and stored, those can be turned into carbon credits and those get sold to other people. So when you as a consumer buy a carbon credit, what you're actually doing is you're financing uh, carbon removal or uh, from there, right? That, that's how I would best describe it. Awesome. Thank you. And just real quickly, one of the things I love about your EcoSapiens is that they, you know, you start at one level and then you can like level up. And so it's, it's like, there's a little bit of a gamification, right? Where you're like, oh, I, I bought some more and now my, my NFT looks totally different. And, and it, it, is that, that's part of making it fun, I would assume. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting idea. If you view your character as like your vessel or your balance for carbon, uh, part of this mechanism of, or part of the question for us was, is there a way to incentivize you to continue to do more good, right? So you made one purchase, but, um, you know, could we get you to sequester more? And, and um, the idea was, look at your eco-sapien like a vessel for carbon, and the more you sequester, uh, the more it grows and the more intriguing and intricate it gets. And, and not only is that more signaling, um, but, you know, you're also increasing your carbon balance, right? So if you look at my character on my PFP right now, it's like a fully maxed out EcoSapien. And so if you see a character that's got uh, the large flora and the small flora and the minerals, you know that that character has sequestered more carbon. Yeah, very cool. Herbal, let's, let's go to you for a second. And you've called what you guys are doing at Huma, uh, you're, you're trying to get DeFi for the 99%. And I know from the story we wrote about you guys, a big part of that is uh, lending in, in the form of crypto to folks who might not have uh, access to traditional banking. And Amanda, feel free to jump in here, but mm -hmm. could you just like give us a little bit more um, on, on Huma and what, what you guys are trying to do? Of course, yeah. Um, maybe the, the right way to... Um, explain that is is starting from our previous experience, which is something people might be more familiar with. Um, it's you know the fintech experiences uh, that we were building um, before we actually we built uh, Huma. So um, we were building something called Earnin. Um, Earnin is one of the probably pioneers in the um, consumer digital cash advances space. Uh, it was one of the first digital cash advance products. Um, in the App Store, and we served you know, tens of millions of Americans who were unable to make ends meet. Uh, we provided you know, more than $10 billion in cash advances, and we were able to build a very long-sustaining you know, product without any interest rates, without any collections um, and recourse mechanisms, without checking credit scores, um, and building a community that was you know, very strong to both power the you know the business itself uh, by leaving tips um, for the services they were getting um, whenever they could because sometimes they couldn't because uh, they're really you know living um, to the last cent that they have um, but at the same time we realized you know building that was not really easy and sustaining that was not really easy and we were thinking okay you know building this with the you know traditional banking partners and payment rail partners. Is, is just not a, a very long-term feasible solution. There, there are better solutions that you can actually build on top of the you know, blockchain ecosystems. That's number one, because 
if you can't build things efficiently, it becomes really hard to serve 99%, right? If you, if you, if you think about like a bank, when they think about serving, you know, um, a low-income um, person or like a small business versus serving a large enterprise or, you know, high network individual, they quickly realize, okay, instead of like, you know, spending my efforts and labor in serving 1,000 low-income, you know, um, human beings or, you know, um, some small businesses, I can just dedicate, you know, uh, those resources to serving a few high net worth individuals and large enterprises, and I can just make much more money, right? That's like a very simple equation they use. So you realize unless you can actually make things really efficient, you're not able to serve 99% because the traditional systems are designed to say no to, you know, um, those participants. And uh, literally the three of us, you know, we left earning and we start basically thinking hard about like, how do we enable, you know, as many earnings as, as many earning type uh, fintechs as possible um, uh, around the globe? Because unless we do that, uh, there's not going to be an efficient infrastructure to build this kind of solutions, uh, first of all. Two, if you think about what really uh, is happening right now in emerging markets, you see a lot of you know, um, uh, lending providers who are operating in a very opaque and predatory way, right? And they're able to do that because there's not enough transparency, there's, there's not enough, uh, let's say, forcing functions that are you know, pushing them to the, to the right side of the deal. Um, they're able to do that because you know, they, they can just continue to be very opaque, centralized, and um, predatory. So we said, okay, how can I build an infrastructure that actually forces these, you know, lending participants to play the most transparent and um, the, the fair game possible. Because if you can do that, then you're actually creating a, you know, suite of solutions that has to play with the roles of the platform, that has to be transparent, that has to play fair, and that eventually creates this, you know, snowball effect of creating better solutions for the, you know, end user, for the end borrower, for the small business. And, we, you know, even though it's been only three months since we launched our beta, we're already seeing this happening with our partners today, launching, you know, solutions in the Philippines and Kenya and different parts of the world. So I'm excited to, you know, continue to see where this goes. Hi, Erbil. Amanda here. Hey, Amanda. Um, hi. You have such a fascinating career storyline from Facebook to fintech to crypto. And when I spoke to you for the article, you said big tech was really, you know, where you thought you'd do the most good in the world, but, you know, soon realized that that wasn't the case. Now, with the financial gap in emerging markets, you know, being around $8 trillion and, you know, the population's growing, can you give some examples of projects, you know, that's leveraged humans infrastructure, like you just mentioned, the rural clinics in Kenya? Can you also just give an example of the market vendors in Indonesia and sort of the communities you're serving there? Yeah, totally. I actually also see a, one of the um, developers on our protocol in the audience today, Ilo, <laughs> one of the listeners is, is building something very excited called Crypto Credit. Um, maybe he can, he, can, he can give an example himself, but let me talk about maybe the, the vendor example, the market vendor example you mentioned. So we partnered with GIA um, and GIA, you know, is built by uh, a team from uh, the, the Garmin Bank and the Tala, the Emerging Market Micro Lending you know, experts. And they wanted to build something where the, the borrowers um, who are small businesses in Philippines and, and um, you know, Kenya, uh, the small market vendors uh, can eventually become the 
the the kind of participant in the protocol and participants in this you know overall ecosystem and set the rules and they said okay these market vendors you know the small market vendors when you go to philippines you know there are like so many of them you know everywhere every corner they are serving everyday needs right and they unfortunately don't have capital to to buy supplies in bulk they need to actually go and replenish their supplies every single day which means they are paying the retail price to sell at the retail price it's a very hard business to build and unless actually you can buy in bulk you're not able to you know turn uh, much profit and you're not able to you know grow your you know um uh you know uh stall or you're not able to offer more products because you're just taking so much risk by offering offering more products so they built this kind of like bargaining power in a way by giving them working capital that they can utilize to buy in bulk. So they actually work with wholesalers and by working with wholesalers, uh, they're providing this capital credit through the human protocols to the you know, market vendors. And those vendors can utilize that uh, credit they have from human protocol and go to the wholesaler and actually buy in bulk. And um, they can actually sell at a lower price. They can sell more products and they can make a little bit more profit and you know make ends meet and provide you know um, a wealth building potential for their family and for their community and this actually is really important because if you do not necessarily have this kind of structures then a lot of these you know market vendors will be eaten up by you know the giant private equity firms that will build supermarkets all over the place and they will only build it in the very urban settings and you know a lot of these folks will be driven out of business and there's not enough, you know, uh, maturity in those industries and ecosystems to actually offer them, uh, you know, better job opportunities or inter- entrepreneurship opportunities. So we've seen, you know, vendors um, benefiting, um, again, just regular, you know, market vendors. We also see a lot of vendors benefiting from this as school vendors. So a lot of, you know, schools will have vendors around them. And now those vendors can actually borrow uh, and provide a larger suite of, you know, inventory to the students. Um, previously, they would probably have just a few books, a few notebooks, a few pens, and now they can, you know, provide print services uh, because they can afford to buy a printer, um, you know, by utilizing capital, and, you know, they can buy other stuff that will be helpful for students day to day. I'd like to just open it up to a- a- anybody who wants to talk about this, but it seems to us that one of the challenges here is that there's a pretty big contingent out there that that view, you know views crypto as as evil. Um, you know, you've got Senator Warren in the United States campaigning on, you know, that she's building an army against crypto. Um, obviously, we know what Gary Gensler is doing at the SEC, um, and there are a lot of other very prominent naysayers. Do you guys um, do, does that? come into your into the equation for you or do, are you working to convince people that crypto can be good or are you just kind of putting your heads down and working to make you know these projects a reality and that's like the proof is in the pudding more um than you know maybe shouting on twitter i could maybe speak first i think um i got two thoughts on this matt so one is like at a high level macro um you know state of the country level uh, it does seem like, like I am actually happy to see that there's more uh, like talk in government about crypto, and and the truth is you're seeing it on both sides of the aisle, right? There's plenty of politicians that are coming out as more pro, um, and then some that are obviously not, right? Like Ron DeSantis is is uh, is, is more pro crypto. Um, does it affect our business today? 
I think the truth is, you know, given the state of the, the crypto market as a whole, uh, with NFT volume being down and prices down across the board, I think for us, from an execution point of view, we've just stayed laser focused on the NFT community uh, for our product and then focus specifically on the folks that are still early adopters and want to see this technology be used for good. And I think the cool thing is that, um, you know, the space that we call ReFi, which is the intersection of crypto meets climate, continues to grow. Um, I remember when we started the company over a year ago, there were, uh, you know, fewer than 100 projects that we were tracking in the space. And now there's an explosion of, of quote unquote, impact NFTs and, and um, you know, refi projects out there. And we're constantly meeting more people who, you know, they, they came here in a bull run in the bull market, but are sticking around and are, are trying to use this technology for, for really important things. So, you know, to answer your question, um, we're, you know, from an execution point of view, we're focused here. And I think that the uh, the market for impact and, and Web3 continues to grow, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, I'm here with Nihar on this one. Um, I don't pay attention to spe specific politicians. Um, I pay more attention to the, the like wider conversation. And maybe in the US, if we just look at, you know, what's covered in the news, um, it's easy to get depressed. But if you you know, step out a little bit um, and just go talk to the governments of, you know, Switzerland, UK, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, um, Brazil, you know, many other parts around the world, you just see this excitement because I think a lot more um, people and institutions are realizing the potential, um, especially if they're, you know, um, participating in the global um, trade. Um, just, you know, crypto makes everything more efficient and more transparent. And uh, I think the conversation is very different. So we try to also, you know, pay attention to the conversations happening globally. But at the end of the day, I think you need to, you know, keep making the pudding. And uh, there's just like a, a lot of people waiting to be served. Um, as long as they're happy, we're happy. And at some point, I think the, the political conversation in the U.S. will settle and uh, there will be some more clear guidance on regulations and compliance and we'll all operate within that framework. Yeah, and I'll just add, uh, I agree with that. And we are operating out of the U.S. for the Glow Dollar stablecoin. So we will have to work within a regulatory environment here that is quite uncertain. But I'm optimistic about, you know, seeing draft stablecoin bills being written. Um, the SEC is trying to figure out how they view a lot of these crypto assets. But on the stablecoin side, I'm, I'm confident we can work with it in a very trusted way and, and get more clarity over time. But uh, yeah, it's just a challenge. And hopefully over time, people build more trust in it because it is something that broader conversations around what are safe investments? What does a mature crypto ecosystem look like? And we hope that a, a stable coin like us can, can really change the narrative around crypto. So if we're big enough and have influence, it's going to make politicians and regulators more accepting of, of policy that is going to keep us in existence and, and growing. Yeah, Jeff, that, that brings me a point that I find interesting with, with your venture is um, how much are you relying on, uh, I think people in crypto, for the most part, have good intentions. And I think they would really like to know that by using a stable coin like Glow Dollar, they could be helping solve a problem in the world. Um, and as long as it's you know it has good utility and and it's easy to use and and trade in and out of and and whatnot, um, is that something that you guys 
figured out early was that there is a bit of um you know uh, altruism in in the crypto space maybe more so than other places I, I, that's it's always struck me that way i know there's obviously a bunch of scammers and things like that but you know at the core of it i think a lot of people in this space uh, are really trying to make the world a better place yes totally agree there is a lot of altruism uh we're promoting like an early adopter sign up program be before we even get launched in the, into the uh um, market, which is going to be soon within the next couple of weeks. And we already have over 250 people who have pledged saying they want to buy Glow to support the mission. And a lot of this is just early signaling of, you know, we like the crypto space. We think it's a great ecosystem. There's a lot of value there. How do I participate in a way that aligns with my values? I can promote a mission. Um, all those things are starting to be embedded in financial services and products and money is fundamental to that. And I really want to change how people view money. Like if you can have a Patagonia of money, why not use that type of product? And I feel there's a lot of like need for that in this space. Um, and there's also just, you know, early projects. I think people get excited about being, you know, new users and things that are being developed in crypto. And I, I love seeing early community growth and people wanting to help support us and, uh, yeah, it's just a really good, exciting environment to, to work in. Yeah, full disclosure, I just signed up as an early adopter the other day. And um, at the Central, we're planning to use Glow Dollar, you know, to pay folks who work for us that want to be, you know, receiving crypto. So uh, please, if you're listening, join me. I think it's a great initiative and uh, something that, that is something to be excited about. Um and again, for anybody, any of the, the guests here, have you gotten any um, pushback from like the traditional industries that you are trying to disrupt? Is that coming into play at all yet? Or do you think you're still kind of under the radar? Um, maybe I can jump in because it's a bit relevant for us. To, to be honest, we've been very surprised. So one of the first conversations, you know, we had um, when we started building Huma was with the, the chief financial officer of Earning, who came from, you know, a very probably largest um, tech private equity firm. And he had a lot of, you know, connections in, in Wall Street. And the second conversation we had was, you know, a friend of mine from an investment bank in Australia, probably, you know, the largest investment bank in Australia. They do a lot of, you know, um, debt uh, initiatives uh, for, you know, uh, investment banks and investment uh, fintechs. And those two conversations actually were quite surprising for, for a couple of reasons. Is one, um, crypto is like highly valued and everybody is so curious about the blockchain technology and wants to learn more and wants to get involved more. So there's so many kind of like this, um, uh, you know, people who have a day job at Wall Street, but actually, you know, in the evenings and weekends, they actually work with protocols like us. And they are the, you know, biggest ambassadors, um, you know, within their firms as well to, to push those firms to, you know, start um, looking into blockchain, maybe, you know, start incubating some projects, uh, working with um, uh, some of the, you know, um, protocols in the space. They're all kind of like putting on the brakes a little bit, at least because of they don't want to get the publicity and reputation damage, uh, given the uh, unclarity. Um, on the overall regulatory and compliance space. But I think the moment that clarity is uh, clear and the picture is more clear, just so many of them are waiting to just jump in. 
it's just this what we you know heard from again and again um many of them yeah that's really interesting because i was talking to somebody for my podcast decent people and he was talking about he, he was at big banks you know trading equities through options and stuff like that and he kind of missed the he felt like he missed the fintech um wave of of a couple of years ago where he had offers but he didn't go anywhere and he watched all his friends get you know really rich um so then when DeFi and web three came around he's like okay i can't miss this i can't miss it again um sounds like that might be what's going on in the background which is great um so it's kind of the opposite of of getting pushback um jeff have you guys gotten any like uh, any any trouble with that or, or how, how would you say things are going um along those lines yeah no pushback i don't think there's it's a very kind of I could, like the other stable coins, um, I've had a couple of conversations with people at those other places and they're very supportive of our idea. They want to help us out, kind of understand the landscape, learn about how to navigate the regulatory space. Um, it feels very much like we're all in it together. Um, I haven't talked to everybody at every stable coin, but um, it's really been a, a positive experience working in this space. You know, we're all kind of building, you know, if the whole market grows and people adopt stable coins as payments and just general use and use it for all kinds of new things um just like money we all benefit from it so it's kind of like the growth of our stablecoin the growth of usdc um it's just all net positive in terms of getting this to be more widely adopted yeah amazing okay we're gonna start wrapping it up but i thought um you know to to, to wrap up i wanted to ask you guys to just tell listeners like how or investors like how can they contribute to your projects and you know get involved Maybe Jeff, you want to start first, and then we'll just go Jeff, um, yeah. Nihar, and Urban. Sure, that works great. Um, well, I already mentioned so the early adopter program we're running. It's it's very simple. You sign up, email, pro provide your social media link. Um, it's glowdollar.org/early. That's a great place to to start. And within a couple of weeks, we'll be available publicly in terms of having the ability to purchase Glow. So we'd want you to stay tuned and and support us early on as a purchaser of Glow. It's it's really important that we we find an early support kind of community for liquidity and adoption and kind of building out that that early critical mass to get this more widely available. So um, we're also on Twitter at Glow Dollar too. So um, appreciate any support and following there. Yeah, so there's basically two ways to get involved with us. I think one is um, at a high level. Would love to have anyone here that. Um, you know, wants to uh, that wants to use digital art to 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 fight climate change to come join our cause and join our mission. And all it takes is to follow us on Twitter at EcoSapiens XYZ and to jump into our Discord. Um, so that's that's number one. Number two is if you are interested in buying digital art that offsets your carbon footprint and uh, preserves Kenyan uh, soil regeneration. Our product is available for sale. You can go to OpenSea and look up EcoSapiens Ecogenesis Collection. And all you got to do is pick up a Chrysalis NFT and then take it back to our website um, and uh, evolve it into an EcoSapien. And that process, you you know, offset 28 tons of carbon um, and you get to, to see what your character looks like. And oh, yeah, we'll also send you a print version of it, too. So those are pretty cool. Um, but yeah, join our community or, or uh, check it out in OpenSea. That sounds cool. I'm going to definitely do that. Uh, I love collecting NFTs, um, especially for a good cause. So for us, it will be, um, you know, if you know any fintech who wants to build a fair, affordable 
and transparent um, lending solution for business and people in emerging markets. Um, I think we are the perfect uh, infrastructure solution for that. But also for you know people who want to provide liquidity, I think all the lending opportunities we have right now on Huma Finance DAP are overcommitted from a liquidity perspective, which is lucky given the market environment, but there's going to be more opportunities launching um, there. And if you want to participate in that way, um, also that's going to be available to you uh, in the coming weeks. Great. Thank you so much. Click on these guys' socials, like give them a follow, um, check them out online. And, you know, thank you very much for joining us. I think as we've shown here, um, do some of the stories we've, we've written at the central and, and the other issues we're following, there's a lot to be positive about. There's a lot to feel good about uh, that crypto is making an effort to change the world for the better. Uh, it's easy to forget that sometimes um, when, you know, it, a lot of the negative stuff, I think gets a little more, um, it gets a little more attention, maybe a little more volume than, than some of the positive stuff, but it is happening in the background. And, and as you've seen here, go, go help it out, check it out and um, get involved. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. And, if you want a POAP, uh, we've got one that's really cool um, for attending today. Uh, it's totally free. It's um, no, There's no cost to mint. Uh, all you need to do is we put a tweet out uh, just recently, a couple minutes ago. Just drop your address in there, and we will send you a POAP from today. And, uh, you know, please yeah, check us out at Decentral.io. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts where, uh, you know, there's a film section at our website. You can see some of the films we've made um, with Peter McCormick. Um, they're called Follow the Money. Uh, it's, it's a lot about Bitcoin and how um, inflation is affecting um, economies around the world. Um, and we've got just a lot of great stories coming out every week, uh, podcasts as well. So give, it, give us a look. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back uh, with these Twitter spaces uh, on a regular basis. So also keep an eye out for that. Thank you to Nihar, uh, to Erbil, and to Jeff. Uh, thanks, Stephen and Amanda. And um, hope you guys have a great rest of your day wherever you are. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to rate and follow this show on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Decent People is a production of Decentral Media. It is produced by Matt Bogart with music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes.